Hello, dear listener. I have something truly special to share. It's an exclusive invitation to join me in Mexico for an intimate and luxurious three-day retreat along the beautiful Pacific coast of Zihuatanejo, taking place the weekend of the spring equinox, March 18th through the 20th. There's also an optional day to stay through the 21st for some special ceremonies that are happening in the area for the equinox. But the retreat itself is the 18th through the 20th, really an opportunity not to be missed. And I'm offering one lucky listener a discounted ticket. On this weekend that I've, I've just been loving into being actually for several years now as COVID and you know everything, but when we conceived of building this place, our home down here it's really what we envisioned, you know, bringing people down here for retreats, for trainings, because we felt and we knew that this space was special. And as people keep coming down and we keep getting the feedback, how magical it is, we want to share it in a really intentional way. You know, be working with the four elements, earth, air, fire, water, the metaphors of the season will set sight on a new vision for our mothering journey and creating a deeper connection to self and mother nature. So to win a discounted ticket, rate and review this show on Apple Podcasts, screenshot it and DM it to me on Instagram at Dr. Gertrude Lyons. And remember, the most important thing to mother is yourself. Give yourself permission to take a retreat this year. Besides, who said mothers can't go on a spring break? I'll see you there. Hello, and welcome to Rewrite the Mother Code. I'm Dr. Gertrude Lyons, a professional life coach, exploring, demystifying, and democratizing the maternal power that lives in all women. The experience of mothering may not necessarily mean what you think it means. I believe that mothering is a vehicle for transformation, whether or not we have children. And together, we can start a new conversation around modern motherhood. On this show, we will redefine what it means to mother and untap the powerful feminine within you. Are you ready to rewrite the mother code? This is a Soul Fire production. Hi, and welcome to episode 14 of the Rewrite the Mother Code podcast. I am super excited to introduce this episode and introduce my guest on this episode, Dr. Katie Gardner. Katie is someone I met a couple of years ago at a conference in Toronto, an academic conference on mothering. And it turned out that she's from Chicago, which is where I'm from. And she was taking over the organization that was leading the conference. So this organization, IAMAS, International Association of Maternal Action and Scholarship, has its roots as an academic organization. But Katie's had a vision to take it beyond that and not just bring together and really advocate for scholarship on motherhood, which is very, very needed, but really to bring together activists from countries all over the world and to really increase meaningful conversations among maternal advocates, regardless of their field or experience. So you don't have to be an academic to be a part of this organization, but you do have to care about mothers and care about having the experience of mothering and 
the attainment of a whole motherhood paradigm shift in our culture. And that's something Katie's doing. Obviously, that's something uh, that's very much at the core of my work. So us coming together has been a real gift. I'm a board member on IMS myself. I so much believe in this organization. And on today's episode, we cover a whole, you know, we, we cover a gambit in, in the area of mothering. But I would say, you know, we really focus on something that Katie's bringing to the forefront, which is the illusion of choice in in the world of mothering and in that paradigm and how, you know, women, we, we have more choice, but at the same time, within the choice of becoming a mother, uh, your choices from there on become very limited. And what can we do? What can companies do? What policies do we need? Where do we need to advocate so that all women have the chance to really grow themselves, grow their children in a way that we haven't experienced before, and which I believe, and we talk about, really has the opportunity to change the world. I think it's beautifully timely for um, the fact that we had inauguration and more women coming to the forefront. And I think, you know, there's no time better than now to make a difference in this area. So without further ado, uh, let's get on with the episode. Thank you so much for the kind introduction, Gertrude. And of course, all the same things that you said, I feel very much the same about you. It's been wonderful to connect with somebody. I think it's always been very interesting uh, the times that we've had the chance to sit down and talk for a little bit lengthier amounts of time because we do approach things, I think, somewhat differently um, in terms of our mission and our goals and our beliefs are very, very much following the same path. And yet we approach those paths, I think, from a slightly different angle. But I think we're both invested in having mothers become better self-advocates, be more secure in their own sense of mothering and, and be able to thrive as mothers. And of course, change some of the structures that influence motherhood in negative ways, because those are certainly out there as well. So that was partly, you know, IMS originally started as Mercy out of Canada uh, under Dr. Andrea O'Reilly, who is just a force to be reckoned with. There's no other way to put it. She's an amazing woman. And basically she just, to put it bluntly, was saying, hey, motherhood's just not getting the recognition, motherhood studies, I should say, is not getting the recognition that it deserves. And so she started her own organization, um, which more power to her. I think it's absolutely wonderful. And then with that, she also started a press, Demeter Press, which has had scores of books at this point. Uh, and I recommend that anybody who's interested in looking more deeply at, particularly from an academic angle, but certainly not limited to that, um, that's an option too. So she handed over the organization about two years ago. And I've been just truly, it, it was a bit overwhelming at first um, because she, you know she's one of my absolute idols in life. And to, to have that sort of offer was truly amazing. But I, I thought for about 30 seconds and said, there's no way I can say no to this um, because it does fit so well with what I'm, I'm trying to do both personally and politically and in terms of trying to get motherhood recognized and, and help mothers thrive. So that was where um, I stepped in and it's been a wonderful two or three years. We had our first conference that was supposed to be in person, but of course with COVID moved to be online. We've started the Voices, Visions, and advocacy webinar speaking series, which um, has allowed me to talk with some amazing women, again, around the world from uh, Kazakhstan to Canada to uh, where else? I mean, just some really wonderful places um, and talking about all these different topics, whether it's childcare, 
issues with COVID, spouse issues and co-parenting issues, and all the things that really do impact everyday moms in real, real ways. Uh, But hopefully we aim, I think, as you do too, to elevate the conversation a little bit. And that's, um, you know, it's, it's certainly we all need our, our time to gripe a little bit, but I think it's really important to keep our eye on what can be changed and how to move forward. That's awesome. Um, I, I love doing these because I get to hear, you know, your take on things. And even though I've been around you and we talk about it, um, I just thought of and learned new things as you, as you were saying that, because um, when you're saying, you know, we approach it a little bit differently. I'm like, yeah, I guess, you know, to summarize, I would say I approach it maybe somewhat more from the internal perspective and the journey mm-hmm. of, you know, each individual woman but still wanting that to shift things as a whole in the motherhood realm where you touch on that too, but your broader sense is more the um, external factors, you know, and how how women can, you know, mothers aren't being, you know, where politically in the workplace, you know, in their environments aren't being supported as well as they could. So, and I think they absolutely go hand in hand. I think that the personal is certainly very important, particularly in terms of the self-advocacy and feeling that sense of empowerment within oneself to create the change. And yet you can be the most empowered person in a disempowering environment and still really struggle. So I think both of those really need to be working in tandem. Yeah, here, here. Well, one of the topics that we want to, you know, dig into further is, you know, something I know you put a lot of care and attention to and thought, and that's around the illusion of choice for mothers. And I just, I love that because it evokes for me a whole range of possibilities and concepts of what that could mean. So I'm excited to have you share what your perspective and what that means to you and how you've been working. Well, this started as part of a book project that I've been doing um, that has been uh, definitely a longer journey than I first anticipated. Uh, But as those journeys go, you know, you you take it with what it comes. And but I've had a chance to talk with almost 100 women now uh, around the country from Brooklyn, Chicago, Denver, San Francisco, L.A., and a few other places in between, I think. And so talking with them, the original um, conversations were really about child care and what we could do to change the child care system. But, you know, as you know, these journeys sort of help guide you where you need to go. Uh, and it, I realized that it's, it's certainly child care is very, very important. There, there's no way to, to skirt that issue, but that it's bigger than that. And why don't we have child care and, and sort of getting into some of the more theoretical conversations that that go behind that. And some of it was, I think, for me, and this is the premise of my book at this point, is the idea that we frame motherhood very much as a choice. And to some regard, some extent it is. But I think that there are a lot of cultural factors that feed into why we become mothers, how we mother, what struggles we face as mothers, and all of those things. And those aspects, I think, starts moving into a point where it's not always our choice of whether we're experiencing that input. How we deal with it, of course, is up to us to some extent, but that also requires a certain set of skill traits and all of that and that advocacy that we've been talking about. But I've been looking more at what happens when we frame it, motherhood as a choice. And what comes with that is both a sense of very intense personal responsibility that the government doesn't have to do anything in terms of, say, providing child support 
or childcare. Right. Businesses don't have to do anything in terms of offering flex time because it was your choice. And I've certainly seen that on so many responses, you know, where somebody might be asking for some sort of parity when it comes to closing the wage gap, childcare, et cetera. And invariably, there's not even one, but a handful of people. Well, she chose to have the baby. Well, yes and no. I mean, we certainly know that pregnancies can sort of happen uh, <laughs> and be surprises. But it puts 100% of that onus and responsibility on the woman. Mm-hmm. And I find that very problematic um, because obviously she did not create the baby by herself. Exactly. Yeah. Keep going. Say more about that. So there's that. But it, I think it also, when we place that responsibility on the woman by herself, it excuses all outside forces from what they should be doing to support motherhood and children. Mm-hmm. Um you know, as our organization and myself as a scholar, um, I feel like there's plenty of great work being done on child care and child studies. I look at more from the mother herself and advocating for mothers. But that sense that we don't have to do anything to support mothers because you chose this path. And I think, you know, if we follow that out a little bit, well, we see that fewer women are choosing motherhood. Um And some of that, I think, has been because the rhetoric around femininity and what it means to be a woman has shifted somewhat, certainly from, say, when our mothers were having us. But I think that speaks to a broader issue as well. Some of it, I think, is coming from a place of an empowered choice of saying, I can be a complete and full woman without embracing motherhood and more power to them. But I've also spoken to many millennials in particular that are just truly scared of how they're going to be able to manage, you know, having a spouse, having children, paying for all that on top of student loans and a mortgage and all of those things. And where I find the the inequality is not only from, of course, the gender aspect between men not caring that, not experiencing, certainly the fatherhood wage gap doesn't exist. They get a wage boost instead of getting dinged. But that there's this sense of that children are simply a personal, again, choice, but a um, personal reward mm. rather than viewing children as a community trust that yeah. we're all invested community. in. Community was the word that kept coming up for me as as you were talking. Like we're not seeing right. all connected in this way. And, you know, humanity and the species, is, it's making the difference between choosing to have a child and choosing to take on a costly hobby, you know, um, you know, is in my mind different, right? Like this Absolutely. is- Absolutely. And that's one of the ones that I really push back against, you know, and not that I, I think that our work-life balance for all working adults- needs to be fixed, to put it bluntly. But then to your point, the idea that practicing for a marathon is a personal pursuit that you get satisfaction from. And certainly child raising and child rearing is a personal pursuit to some extent, and you do get personal rewards from that. But the idea is that that whole shooting the arrow forward into the future, that we, you know, these are the future doctors, lawyers, teachers, janitors, car mechanics, you know, all the people that we need, the 
future voters, the future of our country is, of course, our children. So if we're not willing to support mothers who are the ones supporting the children, I feel like there's a real mismatch between the rhetoric of praising mothers and actually supporting them. And that frustrates me. That's just as you said it, it, I got shivers, but not like in that, like, oh, that's a beautiful thing. It's beautiful that it bothers you. I think that's where I go. Oh, yeah, I'm bothered. (laughs) But the upset of hearing that together uh, in that way, you know, that they're praising but not supported. Like, yay, go you. Um, and look at this beautiful thing you're doing, but we're, you know, we're, we're not going to support you in it, you know, or you're not going right. to find the, the support in day-to-day advocacy as we're using that's needed, you know, for us to... Well, and to be honest, too, as a, as a community, a world community. And I, we see that across many care work fields. So it's not exclusively motherhood either. I mean, it's we didn't teach you. Here, big time, right? Yeah. And the idea that, you know, praise doesn't put food on the table. You know, we need tangible supports that actually help us as mothers. So as we're bringing this up, and I just kind of mentioned it, how have you seen this amplified um, even more so the cracks being shown this past year and continuing uh, with with the pandemic and COVID? Like where, what, what was illuminated for you? How has that informed what you were already working on and looking at? Well, I think it absolutely, I think very few people that have been in the field of maternal scholarship were surprised by the fallout that we've seen Um, in terms of, I think in September alone, we saw 865,000 U.S. women step out of the workplace. Uh, I, I personally don't have the data in terms of if those were people that were laid off versus choosing to leave, but I've done personal research on this too early in COVID, um, I think it might have been like last April or May, mm-hmm. looking at the number of hours that fathers versus mothers were investing in distance learning, exclusively distance learning. And I think 70 to 75%, I don't have the, the numbers you know, handy right now. Huge. I remember looking at them too, but I don't remember. Yeah, in that realm of, the, of mothers were putting in, I think, 12 plus hours a week, you know, in that range. Whereas 90% of fathers were putting in less than one hour a week. Well, right there, I mean, we see who's picking up this quickly pivoted situation and having to make lemonade out of it, basically. And so, of course, that's in partnered relationships, um, you know, that I was doing the survey on. But then talking to single mothers, of course, I mean, I truly I don't see how this is at all working. Um, for those individuals who are trying to balance work, perhaps more than one kid, I can barely handle my own and they're a little bit older. So I have kids that are, you know, just started high school and then one's in seventh grade and one's in third. And so, I mean, we're talking, you know, you have the whole spectrum. Oh yeah. But I I mean, there are, you know, at least two of them are more or less able to to wind their way more or less (laughs) through the distance learning (laughs) that's been going on. Um, And, you know, our little guy needs a little bit more assistance, but if you have three little kids, how, I mean, there's no way to be doing this. And some of this is, you know, even if we had childcare during COVID, that would not have fixed the situation. In that case, I think it's more looking at who do we expect to pick up the slack? And of course, it's mothers. Um, you know, we're, we've long been the labor reserves of this country. 
whether it's, you know, going back quite a bit into World War II of women being kind of encouraged to join the workforce. And it was the only time we had childcare in this country to then when the men came back, it's like, well, men need a job, women don't, you know, pushing women back out of the workplace. But we've seen that in various ways through more subtle cultural cultural messaging, you know, that when the economy is struggling a bit, suddenly the home front becomes more important and we should be, you know, making our own baby food and growing our own peas and everything like that. The things that take more time and encourage women to feel this greater sense of investment at home. And by no means, again, am I saying that those aren't important endeavors, but I think when it's being managed in those ways to influence who's in the labor force and using women as this sort of on-call labor force, whether it's at home or in waged work, mm-hmm. is problematic because you know, we are being targeted specifically because of our sex. And, and that, of course, should not be, should not be. happening. <laughs> Hi, I'm so excited to share with you my 2024 Spring Equinox Self-Mothering Retreat that's happening this March 2024. And I would love for you not only to consider it, but to attend. But in considering it, hey, just knowing that you would be leaving cold weather if that's the space that you're in and coming down to just magnificently beautiful, warm, nourishing place of Zihuatanejo, Mexico. Zihuatanejo meaning land of the goddess women and coming to really take time for yourself, okay? And that I am learning more and more isn't just a nice thing to do or something extravagant or something selfish, it's essential. And I really want you to take it seriously to consider, you know, just think about what would it take for me to go, it's a five and a half day retreat, getting from where you are, getting there, landing there, and then being in a space that is all about you. It's all about nourishing you. It's all about tuning into you, using everything around us, the nature, the food, the beautiful people, the rituals, ceremonies. I bring it, you know, we really bring it. And we go deeper and deeper as the days go on and we release, we let go, we bring in what is nourishing, what is empowering, what is that space of just really divine feminine energy. And we do it in the community of women. It's not for everyone. I will be honest, you know, if the idea of leaving and not making it work or it's just too hard, not for you. If the idea of, you know, spending that amount of time inwardly focused and going to that level of self-awareness doesn't sound like something you're willing to do or put the time and energy into, then it's not for you. And it's good to know that, right? So this is for people who are serious about what it means to mother themselves, what it means to take time for ourselves and that gift and what that gift can bring to us. It was originally right after my fall retreat, it filled right up. But now some people, it turns out, are not able to come. So I do have a handful of openings. And if you're listening to this and you're willing to take that step, please reach out to me. We can do a discovery call or you can put a deposit down. I would love that. And you can do that by going to my website, www.drgertrudelyons.com. Go to events and there you go. It'll all be there. There's a beautiful page there for you to explore. 
I look forward to hearing from you and then seeing you on my spring retreat. Exactly. Well, and I'm going to ask you a little bit later to share or talk about what are things, you know, that we can do to support this change and whatnot. But I was curious about something as, as you were talking, and we haven't talked about this. Are there cultures where have you studied, you know, in, when you're doing the book, like, we know it's not working here. Is it working anywhere else? Do we have models, you know, that even though we're not doing it, we, we could be? Or is this generally something we all all as you know, women and cultures need to create new models for? Well, the book by Caitlin Collins, I think it's called Making Motherhood Work, addressed your point really well. Uh, And I think one of her most poignant takeaways, for me anyway, was as she was looking at, I think she was in Germany, Italy, one of the Scandinavian countries, and perhaps someplace else. And she was looking at motherhood in those countries and very current. I mean, this was you know, just done within the past couple of years. And the main thing that she saw as a difference between the mothers there and the mothers in the U.S. is that mothers in the U.S. have adopted this sense of rugged individualism which, you know, we've all learned about probably in sixth or seventh grade, maybe sooner, you know, that sort of pull yourself up by your bootstraps, sort of, um, you know, don't take handouts, et cetera, mentality. And the mothers in the U.S. just simply aren't incensed by their lack of support, the lack of support that they're getting. We're more guilty that we're not doing it all ourselves than think that. More or less. Yeah. Yeah. And that sort of, I chose this. So, you know, I made the bed, you know, sort of that, all of those sort of adages. And so there isn't the pushback, which nice for politicians, nice for employers, not so nice for moms. So I think a lot of the work that I feel is important right now is that sort of self-education, self-advocacy component so that we can get women to say, hey, it doesn't have to be this way. Like the government wants us to have kids. Companies want us to have kids, kids that are well-raised, well-tended, you know, that can be participating members of our society later. And so, you know, to me, it's kind of like, you know, we're not asking for handouts. We're asking for, you know, a fair quid pro quo situation of you know what we're providing you know yeah i mean even at at its simplest i don't know more mundane level it's like we're providing future customers to all the businesses you know that we're that we're working for you know and and are out there so you know we are all something i know i really was struck with particularly in 2020 but you know have always felt this way especially in the u.s we're very disconnected from how connected we all are and Mm how how the ripple effects of our choices impact everybody and i i it's one of the things I I hope we're learning from 2020 to see that, you know, and to awaken, you know, women to see that they have a right to advocate, to want more, to expect more from companies they work for, the country that we live in, and to, you know, feel empowered by it, not just crushed by it or hiding it because they're not doing it well enough or right. I mean, that's some of the things I've been addressing with women is here we are again, finding another example to throw in our face of like, we're supposed to do COVID uh, pandemic learning, teaching, taking more on and do it some right way, you know, which is, which is perfectly, you know, as well as, you know, for women to feel empowered or um, celebrated that how much we can take on and do, but there's a breaking point and there's a cost. And if we were sharing the load and spreading it, just how much that would uplift 
and the immense positive impact it could have on on all of us. And that's what I'm getting so much from what you're sharing and, and underlining today, Katie. Yeah, I think it's really, it is that sense of, you know, rising waters lift all boats that I don't think that we as a country have really embraced that idea yet. Um, and we see it in multiple ways, of course. Um, and it's only exemplified, you know, when we look at, you know, race issues, class issues, et cetera, that there's some really deep divisions in our country that not only result from that, but gender too, as we've been talking about more specifically there. But I mean, I would I would certainly stress that almost anything that I've said in terms of you know, the lack of support that mothers receive, I, I would say that that statement's true across all races and classes. But certainly as we look deeper into, you know, looking at African-American mothers, Latina mothers, um, different ethnic groups, indigenous mothers, that that just becomes all the more profound and oftentimes truly becomes a life or death situation, particularly when we're looking at maternity care mm-hmm. and some of those things. So, yeah, we there's real, real consequences here. And it's a matter of, I think, really shifting our, I don't want to say worldview, but country view anyway, in that regard of, you know, we say that we're for the American dream, but we really exclude so many people, including mothers from it. I mean, that was one of the points that I raised recently in some of my writing was, you know, that it is, I would say, next to impossible for a single mother to achieve the American dream, you know, that sort of, so what are we really saying when we say that, you know, we're all created equal, et cetera. And then, you know, what does that mean for mothers? And I think some of that political rhetoric is worth examining um, specifically as it pertains to moms. And so that's where some of, some of my recent work has been, but in, in, you know, to, to what you were saying earlier, we do see other countries, you know, mothers are of course still, I mean, there's, it's just a lot. I think, under even the very, very, very best situations, you know, we, it's hard. It's a hard job. I don't think anybody would say otherwise. Um, but certainly when you have equitable pay for part-time work, when you have childcare, when you have a culture that believes that men and women should be participating in child rearing equally, you know, those things certainly change what motherhood looks like and is experienced as. Um, and I think those are things that we should really be moving toward. I, well, I 100% agree uh, and wholeheartedly. And as you're sharing, I, I, I'm i starting to think for myself and that's what I love about this. And, you know, what what is, and I'm going to ask you, um, you know, your vision, like if we did, if this did start to shift and, you know, we did all the things that you just mentioned, you know, the, the, the sharing of the childcare, equal pay, support, you know, childcare um, comes into being. What do you think, you know, because sometimes it's like, yeah, we all know those are good. But uh, I know for me, when I start thinking about like, what are the possibilities when that happens? And, you know, what what do you see as some of the maybe not so obvious or build on the and emphasize what are the what are we going to what are what's the average American going to gain from us doing this? Like, what do we, what do you imagine that or envision that to be? Well, I think that I mean, certainly there's, you know, there's been studies that have talked about the impact of lack of community. Um, and I think when we shift our way of thinking into a more community-minded mode, um, there is that, there's simply that sense of attachment and both feeling supported and knowing you're supporting other people, feeling valued 
and valuable to your culture and community. I mean, all of those things are huge gains that are you can't quantify, maybe. Um, oh, perhaps I- there's scientists out there, sociologists who can. <laughs> I, that's not work I'm going to be undertaking. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, for me, a lot of it comes down to some of the research that shows what, how much the average father puts back into his family out of his paycheck versus particularly looking at uh, the global South in this in this situation mm-hmm. versus mothers. And this was some studies that were being done on microloans. And if I recall right, fathers put in about 40% of their um, net gains back into their family. Mothers put in 90%. And I think that that is true across the board. The more resources mothers have, I think we pay it forward. It, it's, you know, for better or for worse, part of our cultural programming, uh, what we're, you know, what we're expected to do, I think what we expect of ourselves. But also, I mean, there's, there's both good and bad within that. The good, of course, is the sense of that you'd have um, more empowered women that can be more engaged at a civic level, um, certainly more invested and in being able to run for office and do all those things when there's, you know, that when you aren't feeling judged for doing that work and you know your children are well supported um, and can pay it forward in that way. Women can pay it forward in terms of tending to their kids instead of being, you know, I think one of the the great ironies is that we force low-age people, women out of the home when they want to be caregivers to their children to be working in low-wage work in order to get government support. So they can pay somebody else to care for their children, but they can't get paid to care for their own children. I mean, the irony in that is is poignant and awful. So those sorts of things that just clearly don't make any sense of letting women do the work that that we feel empowered by and capable to do. And I think that is where Women are known as community builders, and I think that's where you get a much stronger community of women are the ones that set up potlucks and, you know, childcare co-ops and all of these things. I mean, we're good at that. Uh, and again, you know, I don't, I don't want to put that solely as, you know, something that's gender specific or I think it's a biologically yeah. driven or essentialist, but it's often where we are and, you know, the work that we do and we, we're good at it oftentimes. And so I think with more support, I think you just see that pay dividends. Well, you touched on so many things there, Katie, and I was, you know, moved to tears at one point, uh, really imagining or, or feeling the sense of, of security that, that, that that could bring to the world, you know, and to all of us and a sustainable planet. You know, when the whole, you know, 40 versus 90% giving back, um, and it, it isn't always that one is more right or the other. It's, it's how they're valued, how they're honored, you know, cause I think as women, we're going to keep giving that 90%, but gee, if that was valued more, more women would be doing it. And, and as you were saying, then they'd be in different positions doing it. And that's going to have a positive impact and naming that some of the things, and I, I think sometimes that's where it gets lost of why, what we're talking about here is so important is that, that there are so many intangibles, you know, it's, mm-hmm. Mentioned things like having, you know, more of a sense of meaning, more of a sense of that we all matter and that what we're doing matters in our lives in general. And those are those are intangible things that 
yeah, I don't know. There's probably ways to quantify everything, you know, and in our culture, I think we're a little too overly reliant on that as the measure for what matters. And, you know, is it true or real? But I know it was a very real feeling when you talked about it to me. And it's one of the things I remember listening to an NPR thing on how having universal health care, for instance, allows people to become entrepreneurs because they're not worried about that part of the infrastructure that is needed in their lives. And so to be more creative, to to do these amazing endeavors that, you know, childcare, of course, is important to women. I'm not going to disclude that, but childcare is an infrastructural need too. I think Elizabeth Warren talked about that. We need to have that sort of support so that women can, and I'm not saying, you know, that childcare isn't important in and of itself, of course it is, but to do other things too and use those talents uh, in broad reaching ways rather than um, to feel this sense of, I think, heavy burden for some women in terms of how am I going to pay for childcare? How am I going to support my children? How am I going to, you know, do all of these things that is being, that are being asked of me and still still be a whole person myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when we provide that infrastructural support, we we provide for a full sense of humanity and, and ability to thrive. And I think that it's just critically important for individuals, but also, again, you know, communities. Yeah, here, here. Um, well, we're, we're going to wind to a close, which I actually don't want to do because this has sparked so many conversations that I want to keep going with. And I think hopefully you'll agree to being back on the show another time so we can. And I feel hugely grateful for the work you're doing, you know, to bring about this world that we're envisioning and the sustainability of it. And is there anything that, you know, people can think about, uh, do obviously, and you can name them, you know, join IMS, you know, uh, donate, you know, do do things and, and take some action. But any other things or anything that comes to mind that after hearing this, if if someone's inspired or wants to, and that can be personally or, or outreach, anything that, that comes to mind for you for, for people to be thinking about doing? I think you know, the two two big things are first, uh, well, three maybe. Um, there's always vote and you know be engaged politically, c- contact your representatives, all those things, I think just needs to be omnipresent and in big red letters. I think shifting your own thinking of, really, really try to get out of, because I heard it from so many women that I spoke to, the sense that you are failing personally when, and I I am a big advocate of personal responsibility, but there's certain times where you have to look at what structural forces that you're playing in or working in that are not permitting you to really thrive the way that you want to. So look outside and rather than always thinking that, that you're somehow not fulfilling expectations, think about what can change outside of you, mm-hmm. um, which I think is a very different way than some of your work is. Um, I'm seeing how they're connected, you know, women critically thinking for themselves, women, you know, um, educating, knowing and, uh, you know, knowing themselves so that can advocate for ourselves. But anyway, Yes. And I think the other one is, you know, empowered women empower other women. Um, and that is if you are in a place where you've done that thinking and, and you've um, 
you feel like you're in a good place, that you are supported, then wonderful. Again, pay it forward. You know, there's so many great organizations. IMAS, as you mentioned, of course, would be happy to accept any support that you might have. We have our conference coming up. And I mean, that's always a great place for advocacy outreach, meeting other activists, um, other artists, other scholars. I mean, it's just a great eclectic group. So kind of getting immersed in those communities, but simply supporting you know, local endeavors that are going on. I mean, I know that we have, say, a a shelter for battered women, Um, you know, women that have been exposed to domestic violence too, you know, all of those sorts of groups support other women and help them again. Because I think, I think, again, you know, we pay it forward so, so much that when you support women, you really are in a situation where you're, you're tapping into a much bigger community and really helping shape the future in such positive ways that helping mothers helps us all. hundred percent, you know, and that completely dovetails with one of the aspects that I like to advocate for work on and rewrite the mother code is that, you know, we're, we're all on one team and Mm -hmm. there are a number of blocks and barriers within our, our own woman group, you know, or, or, and I don't mean to make it so gender, but I do believe that, that there's an aspect of it that is that, and that, you know, I, I got to get over myself. I got to know myself and feel enough of a strong sense of core self where, you know, we're all on the same team, you know, we're not competing for this or that, and we're not competing to, you know, be the best mother on the planet, you know, that, that we really need each other and how much we need each other. Absolutely. I think that there's the very first mothering group that I was in that we still exchange holiday cards and all those things because, I mean, it is such a a life-changing experience um, that doesn't seem to impact from the research anyway men as profoundly. I think that there's a number of reasons for that. But motherhood is a core shifting experience for women. And I think that while there's plenty of reasons for challenging rhetoric and advocacy work amongst ourselves, I think that there's always space for that. I think motherhood can be a real common denominator in terms of that core shifting perspective that happens for us. And I think that there's wonderful potential in that. I mean, I think that if we did more together as a political block, And as a community block, I think that the world would definitely be a better place. Amen. I'm so with you. And and thank you again so much, Katie. And and please, everybody listening, seek out, find out more about Dr. Katie Gardner, IAMAS, and all the beautiful work that's happening there. And uh, I look forward to having you on the show again. Of course. I get to be with you in a lot of ways, and I will. But I want to share you. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you so much for having me on, Gertrude. It's always a pleasure to talk with you. Hi, this is Dr. Gertrude Lyons, and I have the honor and pleasure to speak a little bit about Laura Holloway's podcast, Activate. Laura and her podcast are truly a gift, a treasure, and a treasure trove of all things mind, body, and soul elevation. So each week, Laura has a guest, sometimes solo, but she brings on amazing guests that bring you tools to align you with your mind and your heart in really beautiful ways and also guides you, instructs you. Uh, You leave there ready to take empowered action. So if you want to strip back the layers, silence the noise and listen to your heart's truest calling, 
definitely tune in with Laura. But most importantly, you'll give yourself full permission to say yes to your higher self. And who doesn't need that, right? And we need all the support we can get. You can't find a truer, more caring, lovely, lovely human being. So if you're ready to dig deep and get out of your own way, then this is your tribe. Laura is so with you. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you love this episode, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe so that you can stay on the journey and continue to hear more about rewriting your mother code.